Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, the brand made famous by John McEnroe, Gabriella Sabatini, and today's guest. They relaunched the new line sneaker, and it is slamming. See it at SergioTacchini.com. When you get to checkout, use my code, CRAIG30, in all caps, for a 30% discount. Today's guest grew up in split Croatia when it was still Yugoslavia. Blessed with a carbonated left arm and a fiery demeanor to boot, he exploded into pro tennis, reaching 59 finals, winning 22. He reached the finals of Wimbledon four times and electrified the sports world when he became the only player to win the tournament as a wild card. Just this past January in Melbourne, Australia, he was elected into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. The mighty Goran Eve Fedisevic is today's guest, and we could not be happier. We're connecting to Goran now. There he is. Hey, what's up? How you doing, man? Good, and you? Do you, do you shave your head for this thing, or what? I shaved my head uh, one week ago, actually. <laughs> Nothing better to nice. do. You did it yourself? No, no, my wife did it. Your wife did it. Are you, um, are you, are, are, first of all, I'm Craig. It's nice to meet you, man. Good to meet you. I just wanted to really congratulate you on, you know, your being named into the Hall of Fame. I felt like it got announced in Australia. I happened to be there when you when you were at the press conference and you just seemed so uh just so humble and and so gracious about the whole thing and you know, we're in I'm in Los Angeles. A lot of people are all over the world and sometimes when things happen in Australia it kind of gets lost in the sauce. <laughs> so, you know, I want to just say again, you know, what a, I, I hope that, uh, you know, you have a great moment, you know, even though this thing is stopped down, you know, people should realize what has happened that you've been inducted and, and that's a great achievement. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hope. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but still, uh, it's not officially, Cancel, but uh, we see. It's, they still, well, they still well, I think you're going to have to do your victory lap next year. Yeah. Probably. Why not? With the, with the class of 2020, so it's going to be more people. It's going to be more fun, and uh, uh, but it's a great honor, you know. It's uh, something that uh, you know for 40 something years when I started uh, 40 something years ago in split that paid off, and uh, this you know when you elected in the Hall of Fame is something. That means that you did something okay for the sport of tennis. Well, listen, man, I do a five-set format. And the first set, we call it the off-the-court report. And that's really the question is, are you locked down? Are you in split? Uh, no, I'm in Zagreb. You're in Zagreb? In Zagreb. And I think everybody has the same situation. You know, we all uh, staying home and uh, hoping this is going to end soon. I don't know. Is is uh, Zagreb? Are you, is it being taken seriously? The, the the pandemic and the situation. Actually, very serious. Croatia is doing very well, and not too many dead, uh, not too many infected. Uh, so far, we are doing. Uh, I think we have one thousand seven hundred ninety infected. Uh, Everybody is taking very serious. Uh, only way I'm going out is when I have to walk the dog. So it's twice, <laughs> twice a day, and maybe some food, and that's it. 
That's it. That's it. And uh, were you, have you been satisfied with your leadership and how they've handled the program? No, very, very well, actually. They, they gave it the control to the doctors and uh, really people who knows what they're doing. And uh, I think uh, people are, you know, already going, being bored. And we had uh, Easter and it was pretty, you know, and you could go not go to churches, but uh, still, you know, I think it's better to survive this year and then uh, hopefully this ends soon and uh, we can start at least easing up a little bit, slowly, slowly, slowly. Let's go into the second set. That's what we call the on the court report. I kind of want to talk about the business of tennis right now. Um, I thought that one of the most interesting things that have come out of this shutdown has been sort of the emergence of Andrea Gaudenzi as the, the head of the ATP. Um, what could you say about him? What do you think about what's going on so far? First of all, he's one of my best friends. When we played uh, so many years ago, we played the doubles together. And I'm so happy that he's uh, our big boss now. Uh, I think so far he's handling situation well how is it possible to handle situation if moment tournaments are canceling one by one in my opinion to be honest i don't think it's going to be any tennis this year i don't see i don't see when and because tennis is a specific sport you have to bring so many people from all around the world to one place maybe maybe i say maybe in november december if it's calming down somewhere we can we can do one two tournaments, but uh, optimistically, let's say Australia, if everything uh, everything goes well. Um, what can you tell us about Gaudenzi? That's sort of interesting. I mean, he seems like a very educated guy. Uh, yeah, he was first of all a great tennis player. Uh, Italian. Uh, soon after, after tennis, he went to something uh, else. You know, he, he became. Uh, he went to schools. He educated himself. He, he did. A, he did a very good uh, job with, uh, I think, uh, football clubs like Real Madrid, uh, AC Milan, and uh, you know, he was doing something with the Italian Tennis Federation also. And then one day, when I saw him, he told me, "Okay, I'm. Uh, I'm uh, running for." Uh, CEO at ATP, which I really thought is a great idea, and uh, luckily he was elected. And I think it's a great to have a tennis person running the tennis show, which is uh, he knows the business, but he knows the tennis. You need to know tennis. You need to know tennis players. You need to know inside of tennis and how tennis was before, how tennis is now, and how we have to see tennis in the future. Have you spoken with Novak with regards to any of you know, these sort of machinations, sort of these business kind of situations? Uh, actually, not, not, not really, you know. Uh, at the moment, he's, uh, he's in Spain, uh, locked, locked down like everybody else and uh, waiting uh, for some good news. And Yeah, he's just, he's in Marbella, uh, just um, locked down, huh? Yeah, because we were together in L.A., preparing for uh, Indian well yeah and then 
unfortunately, you know, he flew there. I, I flew back home. Everybody went to different parts of the world. But uh, so far, we didn't spoke about that. So far, everything is like kind of quiet. But uh, for sure, he's speaking with uh, with uh, because he's uh, president of the board and uh, yeah. of the players. And uh, we have to also think about uh, players who are ranked 100, 200, 300. If it's not tennis, how they, you know, to get some uh, money to, to see how, how, how ATP can help them to, to survive. Also WTA and ATP. One last thing about Gaudenzi that I thought was interesting is that he's kind of, they've instituted some initiatives that'll sort of, that have been the men with the women doing some web initiatives and some different things. Do you have any opinion about that? I think it's like a great idea. Uh, first of all, we have uh, uh, Miki, who is, a, who is the chief of WTA, and she was a very successful running octagon for six, seven years. She knows tennis. She was... Uh, Miki Lawler. Yes, she was always in tennis, and she is uh, doing great for WTA. So I think with Andrea together, I think they can do a very good thing so we should uh, we should you know get together and help together and see what how we can get out of this situation best but together you know to go everybody to go left right that's not, not good this is the time did you enjoy the mixed events that were that you played i mean was it always better to be at the you know, I mean, my, slams in, in my time was not too many mixed events we just have grand slams right. and maybe few now it's more and more and i think uh does, I don't know how long it's going to last, this, uh, this uh, pandemic, but uh, it's, uh, I think it's looking like it's going to be more joint events, men's and women's. Is it true that um, Novak is building a uh, big academy in Belgrade and that you have involvement? Actually, he has his own, uh, I don't know if he can call academy, yet. he has a beautiful tennis club. On a beautiful, I just visited first time before we went uh, to Dubai. I went for the preparation there. It's very nice. So he has uh, some kind of ideas in the future. But you cannot call still academy because it's not uh, academy, you know. But if uh, he asked me to, to be involved, to help him to do whatever, you know, I'd be very, very honored and uh, always uh, people... Who, guy like him who helps other people who wants to who wants to improve tennis in this part of the world uh, and we have a lot of uh, talented uh, talented people here in the Balkan um, let's move into the third set uh, this is the part of our show where we talk about your career when you close your eyes and you sort of think back who were you at 10, 11, 12, 13. Like, did you still have, did you already start making that big serve? Were you already smacking that ball? Actually not, because I was very, very skinny and uh, this wooden rackets, they were pretty heavy. But I have a, a pretty same motion back then and now. Uh, I didn't change, you know, and the racket was so heavy. They're always asking me why I keep the racket down. Yeah, why? Because it was very heavy. So it was much easier. Oh. It was much easier to start like that, and then after, oh my God. I didn't want to change. So 
serve was always there. I could not hit hard, but was always there. I was skinny, I could run. Uh, first time I saw hard court when I was uh, actually 14, when I went, actually, no, 12 or 13, when I went to the States to play Orange Bowls and uh, all these tournaments. I grew up on clay. I People, they think I didn't like to play on clay, but I love clay, you know. I, I love clay and uh, and uh, I, was, I was a kid that enjoyed tennis, you know. But you had a great, you had some great wins on clay. People don't realize that, I don't think. I think you beat Muster on clay, huh? I beat Muster on clay uh, in Davis Cup. I beat Bruguera in Hamburg on the slowest clay that year in the French <laughs> Open. Uh, I was in the final of Rome. I was in the final of Hamburg. And then Hamburg was Super 9 tournament. Uh, my first tournament on clay, uh, actually, that I won in my life was Stuttgart. Mercedes on clay. Uh, one of my one of my friends he said, you know, I actually think Goran had a very underrated two-handed backhand. Um, he thought that it was a lot better than people gave it credit for. Actually, that was my, to be honest, till uh, sixteen and a half, that was my best shot by far. And then, best shot. and actually even more seventeen. And then which when I started. Uh, to uh, when I learned slice, I never hit slice before I was 16. I never even wanted to learn slice. So when I learned slice, I said, "Okay, this is not bad. Maybe I should use slice <laughs> sometimes." So, but still, my backhand was uh, good. But you know, people would never think, "Okay, serve." If somebody returns serve, I run around. I hit a forehand, so they didn't see me hitting a lot of a lot of. Backhand, but uh, I like backhand. You know? My backhand was there when I needed. I could hit. I could yeah. uh, put it in. So he's just uh, it, it, he is right. <laughs> he's right. Vicente Munoz is right. Um, go on. When did you take the big jump from you know seven hundred to top hundred? How did that happen for you? Actually, that happened uh, year eighty nine. I was around 500 and something flying to Australia, uh, going to Adelaide. Actually, first I yeah. had to play exhibition in Kuyong. Uh, and then yeah. uh, I was supposed to play junior Australian Open. But then I played, went to Adelaide. I, I lost last round qualies and I got in as a lucky loser. I lost in the quarters to Mark Woodford. He was home guy. Uh, beat me then. Yeah. And then I went to Sydney. I didn't get in the qualies. So I was already ranked 290, something like that. So I got in somehow in the qualies of uh, Australian Open. And then uh, that that was it. I qualified. I made a quarterfinals. And you won. So you actually won seven matches? Yes, seven matches. And then, uh, because on my side, the second seed was Willander. He lost early, and then I beat. Uh, so I went to the quarters. I lost to Miroslav Mechir. Uh, and then uh, Landl beat Mechir in the finals. So then. Was that the moment that you thought you could be something special, or did you already feel like you could beat anybody in the world? Actually, I, I figured out that uh, I'm good enough. And then I'm never going to forget, I was 120, I went to Scottsdale, I got a, because I signed with IMG and uh, uh, I'm, there was IMG tournament, so they gave me wild card. 
uh, I won a round, I beat Chesnokov, and second round I'm playing Lendl. And week before that, I still have his uh, posters <laughs> under, like, <laughs> above my bed. So I see the yeah. guy standing next to me, we're going on the court, I am, like, dead. I'm, like, I cannot move. My legs are dead. So he won his first set pretty easy because I was so nervous playing Lendl. And he was, like, uh, Ivan Lendl. So... And then second set, actually, yeah. I played not bad. And then I realized, but he was number one that time. I can play. Nothing, you know, it's not that he is better than me, but I can play with number one. So I went to Indian Wells. I qualified there. And uh, bit by bit, I, I went to top 50. Next year, I was already semifinals of uh, Wimbledon. I was already top 10 and uh, actually went pretty quick. So I have a question. So I was looking at your results because I was getting ready for the interview, you know, and part of me thought that you never really had, you never won a tournament in the United States, no. but you had good results though. You, you got to a lot of finals. Was the, was the United States part of, of the stretch Difficult for you as a guy in your twenties and, and you know your early you know your in your career. Yeah, I, I have uh, I don't know in the beginning of my career I have problem playing there. I don't know why I put that in my head like I didn't like to play there for some reason. And I think uh, over if I think back to my career, I think hardcore should be the best surface for my game. Not clay, not grass, but hardcore. And. Uh, then after I realized, okay, why I, have a, I don't have any problem. I enjoy there. I like there. I, it's, uh, I have fans there. And then I started to play better, you know. Uh, unfortunately, that uh, uh, Kibiscane final that I had, to, I had to retire after a couple of games against Andre, that was bad luck. Yeah. Uh, Indianapolis, I lost to Pete in the final. Uh, uh, New Heaven, I lost to Kuchera. But uh, semifinals of... Uh, U.S. Open, but after that, I started to play better there, and and I put in my mind that actually I love to play in USA, and there was I lost maybe one two years of good tennis because of my uh, crazy head. <laughs> <laughs> How tough was losing to Andre in '92? Did it did it did it screw you up? Actually not. No, I was actually an absolute favorite in that match and I beat uh, Pete in the semis. I beat Stefan in the quarters. So nobody talked about that. Andre can, uh, you know, and I beat Andre on clay before. So I was pretty confident. But I have to say he was a better player that day. Let me just stop you real quick. Uh, Yevgeny Kafelnikov just, uh, just just jumped on here, so you might want to say hello to him quick. Kafelito, how are you, my friend? He's one of the unbelievable players. He, he beat me badly, so, badly in the Sydney, uh, Sydney uh, Masters. Wow. And I played good. <laughs> and, so I got to ask you a question because I, I, actually talked to, I actually talked to Yevgeny a, a couple days ago. And we were talking about his French Open win. And someone had told me, he said, man, he was such an animal that he'd finish his singles match and he'd practice for an hour. And then he said that he ran 
20 laps around the, the track. He would run 2400s. And you couldn't know this, but in 1997, 1998, I traveled with Brad and Andre. I strung Andre's rackets. And I have a memory, okay, of you were practicing. You played a practice match in Indianapolis with Marcelo Rios. And everybody stopped and watched you guys because you guys were playing unbelievable level. Do you remember that? Uh, actually not, but I love, I love that tournament. Indianapolis, because... Uh, was a great, great preparation. You could, uh, it was this indoor basketball. You had a track and field. Uh, you have a good gym. It was a very good yeah. organized tournament. There. But, but I, the question I want to ask you was, I remember Andre was, we, we took the court after you guys finished and Andre and you guys were talking and Andre asked you, he said, Oh, I heard you can run the 400 like in, you know, under 50 seconds, like world-class times. And you said to him, well, no, 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 that's not true. I can run 50, but I can't, in order to go lower, that takes some work. Um, were you like a big track? It sounded to me like he knew that you were like a world-class. You were world-class. running a lot. Uh, my preparation was including a lot of 400s, a lot of 200s, a lot of 100s, a lot of hurdles. My best result was 52. Or 400. It's a very good result for the uh, person who is not uh, at doing athletic, you know. So I don't, uh, I don't see too many guys now who can run 52, uh, 400 uh, meters. I would like to see who can. Uh, it's uh, either these huge uh, legs. So 400 is a good, uh, good uh, distance for me. I don't but I, those are the, our show. My show is kind of an insider show, so you know I think that like our our listeners, they like to hear sort of that people don't necessarily realize that you were in world class shape. No, in no, but years. they always say you know, okay, yeah, Goran was serving, but I was, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of road of running, uh, really a lot of athletic running, uh, not too much gym. But really, a lot, a lot of hurdles, a lot of jumping. Uh, one year I had preparation with Daly Thompson, who was a two-time mm -hmm. Olympic uh, medalist. Uh, so it was. Uh, I tried with all different people, and and uh, we were fit. We were fit. We were doing uh, a lot of runnings. They're doing now less running. Uh, they go to gym. They do this. That. I mean, it's different kind of game, but still. Uh, we did a lot of these hundreds, two hundred. Also, courier. I was when I was with Echeberry. They were doing a lot of four hundred meters. For everyone, Pat Echeberry is the longtime trainer. Uh, he was at Saddlebrook for a very long time, and he's sort of the one of the original. He put the parachute on the back, and with everything with Jim. Huh? Yes. Goran, how hard was it to play Pete? Ah, uh, that guy. Took a lot of years. I mean, you guys played. You guys played 18 times. A lot of years of my life, but actually, I started well with him. I was like leading, and then suddenly, uh, unfortunately, I could never play him in the early rounds because Pete plays some bad matches early, and after when he gets to the quarter semis, there was a different guy. Uh, Kind of our matches when I see it was always pretty much the same, except this uh, 94 in Wimbledon, he beat me pretty badly. 
but rest, uh, 98 uh, Wimbledon, I lost that match because of my serving. Uh, so many finals, semi-finals, always very close. You know, he was waiting for me to do something stupid. And uh, he was unbelievable server, you know. They were only talking about my serve, but he, I mean, him, his second serve was amazing, you know, deep. You could not do anything. If you return short, he comes to the net. Uh, unbelievable volleys, unbelievable athlete. Uh, really. By the way, unbelievable athlete. Unbelievable athlete. People don't necessarily realize he was, that. He was unbelievable athlete. Uh, he was uh, so quick, you know, this running forehand. Uh, even with the closed eyes, uh, he could uh, hit it wherever he wanted. He was a great athlete. He was, uh, I mean, one of the best tennis players in the history of the game. And I'm uh, quite happy that I was in that generation. I could play with him. I could... Uh, and he, he didn't like to play lefties. That was my, you know, he didn't like to play me. He didn't like to play Forget. He didn't like to play... He lost also to Henri in this Davis Cup in Lyon. Uh, he had struggled to play lefties because we could serve to his backhand and we could uh, keep. But still, uh, a lot of matches I lost, uh, you know, tight, but somehow he always got out as a winner. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. How did the, the war in Yugoslavia, the breaking up of Yugoslavia, affect you? Um, we have a mutual friend and he uh, shared that at some point you were putting up posters in the in the locker rooms at the tournaments to raise money and, and that you had some significant involvement. Did you see war? I didn't see war because I was, uh, I was playing and uh, I was doing my war on the court, you know, that was uh, me representing my country best I can. So, you know, in my head, whatever more matches I win, more press conference I can go, more talk I can say about Croatia, more money I can raise, more things, you know, and, and uh, it was not easy time, you know, when you cannot talk to your parents for one week, you cannot get a line. Uh, uh, it was not easy, but uh, somehow I twist in my head that, that uh, I have to be tough and I have to, you know, just uh, keep going uh, and stay strong. And, you know, people, they don't understand, you know, when you come on the court, they don't care, you know, if you are injured, if you didn't sleep, if you don't talk to your parents for 10 days, if you don't know if they're alive or not. They just ah, he played bad. But we have so many matches that I didn't want to even come on the court, that I didn't even feel like playing tennis. I just wanted to go home and see my parents and uh, see what's happening. But And then in the end, I said, OK, let's concentrate, be strong and play. That was, uh, was a stupid word that... Uh, that uh, no one did well and 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 uh, like all wars and uh, it it's uh, now it's past and uh, everything is okay you know people are we are friends uh, especially the sportsmen they did a big part in this uh, putting these two countries together i listened to your interview with our friends from racket magazine with renee and uh you got to take, you got to tell us about 2001. You know, you shared with her that you were playing such bad tennis 
that head only gave you three rackets and Takini only gave you three shirts. Actually, head uh, uh, convinced me that uh, they gave me the new record. They said this is the same record. They told me a week before, okay, we have a new record for you. It's the same but different yeah. paint. So when I tested, I mean, when I started, I said, <laughs> this is not even close. But I, I was playing so bad that uh, I could play. Same. You said you were playing terrible. I could not play worse. So I could play the same or I could play better. So I have nothing to lose. So I took this couple of records, but was something wrong with the grip. So I was doing, uh, I was in Hertogenbosch. And I was bored. I was doing the grips. Uh, so I, I, I stayed with the three records, actually. Two were perfect. One was uh, emergency. You know, you could play, but something uh, I didn't feel well good with the grip. So to be honest, I, I, I played the tournament with a three record. Uh, I played with the tournament three. And Takini, my sponsor back then, <laughs> did not believe a huge about me uh, winning too many rounds. <laughs> luckily, well, it was you were one twenty-five, man. I, I know, but still, uh, luckily, I uh, never like to change during the match. You know, I always uh, like to finish with one record and with uh, one shirt because I am. You never change rackets during your normally match. Normally, if I break it or if something is uh, bothering me, but usually. I never like to play with the new strings. I already had to play with the record to play. I had some problems to play with the new strings. So, uh, luckily, that was okay. And then uh, Takini sent me another bag, you know, when I started to play better. <laughs> I didn't use that. I had these three shirts washing every That's day, it. but I throw one in the stand. So, I, then I remember, wow, I have only two now. So, I had to be... <laughs> will, you, will, will you beat Roddick? And you threw yes, it. and then I remember well, what I'm doing. You know, what, I have only three shirts. Why are you throwing? <laughs> I wanted to ask the guy, can you give me back? So I'm gonna after the tournaments, I'm gonna return it to you. <laughs> well, because I read an article that a guy in the San Francisco Chronicle uh, wrote a great article, and he said it was the only time he could ever remember seeing a guy leave the court with no shirt on. <laughs> You didn't put on another shirt. You left with no shirt. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of there enjoying, you know. Uh, first time I come to Wimbledon, no expectation. Somebody told me, you're going to pass first week, I will sign straight away. But something uh, happened, you know, first time after a long time, when I started to serve, I felt this prestige had this uh, sound when you hit the serve. It's only prestige yeah. had that. And Finally, I, I get a, a sound back after a long time. And I said, this is, this is something. And uh, after two weeks, I hit this record of aces. I served unbelievable. And, and uh, every, every actually day I play much better and better. But still nobody believed in me, except I have to say Pat Cash. Pat Cash was the only commentator who said, don't underestimated Goran, you know, he's playing well. He was already in the finals, but they say, okay, next round he lose, next round, next round, next round. <laughs> and then... well, so you beat, so you beat Moya, then you beat Roddick, then you beat Ruzedski, and you really killed Ruzedski. Did that's when you feel like you could maybe win the tournament? 
No, no, I felt when I beat Moya. Actually, I, I, uh, Rosetsky have a good score against him, 9-1. Uh, uh, you always beat Rosetsky. Rosetsky, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean... <laughs> Uh, and then uh, when I beat Moy, I started to, I feel that I started to play. When I play Rodic, I serve unbelievable. Uh, and then I beat in the Daddy, quarters. The Ar- uh, and, sorry, Andy said that he just couldn't. He was just watching serves go by him the whole yeah, time. I felt so nice on the court. Actually, you know, when you feel that uh, actually you don't want to finish the match, you just want to keep playing, playing. That happened again with Andy. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it so much on that court one that I was k- kind of sad that we had to finish the match so quick, you know, uh, because he was serving well, I was serving even better. And uh, uh, that, that's when I say, okay, this is, this is something that, uh, you know, who knows, something uh, can happen. And now... You have to explain. You were in like the qualifiers locker room, man. Yeah. You weren't in the champions locker no. room, the members yeah. locker no. room. Uh, no, I was there. I, I enjoyed it, you know, especially this uh, three-day three-day match against team. You know, <laughs> crazy match uh, that you know was going good for me in the beginning, then good for him, and then at the first time, Wimbledon regret that they gave Weikart to somebody like me, you know, because <laughs> when I beat him. Uh, and then, uh, you know, every day when we were coming back on the court, I felt better and uh, I knew that I going to win in the end. And that, that Monday epic uh, atmosphere, I think never ever is going to be atmosphere like that in the Wimbledon finals now with the roof and uh, tennis was not perfect, but uh, atmosphere was unbelievable. Our, our mutual friend, uh, Mark Kyle, um, and I were on the phone with each other the other day. Um, I hadn't talked to him in a really, really long time. And he said that he attended the match in a tuxedo. And that he said it was by far the greatest match there ever was. That it was like they let every single person in that lined up. Yeah, it was, uh, it was unbelievable. But Markal actually came uh, with me to split with the plane. <laughs> and got, we were going to get there next. And he got man. lost. And he got lost there. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, that, that, well, that he, atmosphere. Well, he said he had so much fun, he stayed for a month. Yeah, <laughs> he stayed. Actually, that final was really... Uh, I was so nervous. Actually, that helped me a little bit in the beginning because uh, he had two days off. And I just finished my final uh, semis and I started on Monday straight away. And I was, uh, I started better that, you know, I won the first set. Uh, we were going up and down. And that, that fifth set was really, really uh, very nervous. Well, in the fourth set against Pat in the finals, what we're talking about, but in the fourth set, you got called for a footfall. And then you thought that the second serve, yeah. you banged the second serve down the tee that you thought was good. It got called out. You went pretty crazy. Yes. Um, just watching it, it was hard to believe you would get it back together to play a good fifth set. No, no, I was, uh, uh, I had to get out of my system. I thought it was, uh, it was very close second serve, very close second serve, but, uh, I wanted to get out of my system. I said, okay, man, this is your last final ever. You can't lose uh, because of this point. You, you are two sets to one up, break down, try to break, if not your fifth set. But I needed this uh, bad energy 
come out for a couple of uh, seconds uh, out of my system. How did you, um, I mean, you look so nervous serving for that match. Oh. <laughs> um, it was almost like both of you, and, and you know, Pat and Pat didn't really, in the, in the, at seven all, Pat didn't make one first serve. He seemed like he was tight as a drum. Yeah, we were both tight. Uh, we were both tight. Uh, he played, uh, actually, I played a good game at seven all. I returned a couple of good, good, uh, good balls. I didn't understand yeah. his second serve on 15-40 on a break. I was waiting on uh, on the forehand. I had yeah. already prepared forehand grip. So I said, if he sell to the forehand, I'm just going to smack it. And I did it. And that, that <laughs> game that I didn't... I, I watched actually that game a lot of times. And and at 15-30, um, he took you wide on the serve and you hit a great pass. Yes. For pass. But that game, and I served for the match, uh, that, f for for example, first point, the ball was going wide, but I somehow I thought it's going in the middle of the court, and I, I caught the volley. Uh, I was so nervous. I didn't know what to, I was rushing. I was tossing the ball too low. My serve was not there. But luckily, he was also nervous. And uh, if he somehow just... Uh, was more calm and put more balls, he could break me that game. But, uh, and then I went with a big second serve on 15-30 ace. That was, a, <laughs> that was a kind of crazy moment. And then four match points. Wow. Two double falls, one lob. And that ball that, um, that went by you, was it in or out, do you think? Uh, that was a wide. Yeah, I was there. Was. I, I was there. I was oh. there. Uh, I was white. Like <laughs> super tight, uh, razor. Yeah, he, he had it. I thought he's gonna pass me. He went for. Uh, he pushed it. So, but then he played that unbelievable love on my okay volley, which I thought, no, no, why, why is this happening now? And I could not jump. My legs were gone. No legs. So, so now is it true that? The Ecclestone's ex-wife uh, is Croatian, and she basically set you up to fly back on a 747 private. Yeah, uh, Bernie, Bernie Ecclestone gave me uh, the Formula One uh, plane, so we went back with that flight. It was not 747, but it was huge, huge plane. Um, there's a video that I watched of, of your parade or when you got back. I mean... That had to be the most incredible thing I ever saw. Man. Yeah, that was it was crazy. It looked it was like um, it looked like Croatia won the World Cup. <laughs> almost, almost it was like 150, 200 thousand people. I didn't know what I was talking. When I went back, when I looked back, I was swearing a lot, which was very bad. But uh, uh, <laughs> was great. Well, you used bad language. Oh, I, I, and I, I really uh, didn't know what I was saying. I was like, uh, you know, you see. 200,000 people in front of you. You don't know what's happening. Why are they here? Is this for you? What's going on? I was not uh, realizing what I did. And uh, it's really, you know, split is specific city, you know. They were waiting for me all these three-time disappointments in the finals. And they really was like kind of big party. All city stopped. <laughs> 
for the moment. It was incredible. I mean, what a, what an, an unbelievable moment. You were wearing Drazen Petrovic's uh, jersey. Um, was he someone that, was he a friend? Yeah, he was a very good friend. Uh, he came a couple of times on the US Open to watch me. I went a few times in LA when he was playing uh, for Nets to watch him. And uh, we were really good friends talking uh, quite a bit. Uh, and on 93, when he, uh, fortunately, uh, this bad accident uh, happened, I said that I'm going to dedicate Wimbledon if I ever win to him. And and uh, 93, I played bad Wimbledon, but 2001, I waited and, and that, was, that was for him. That was, I was really proud that uh, he could be proud of me that I won that. For everybody listening and watching, Drazen Petrovic was a great Croatian basketball player who tragically died in a, a, in a car crash, correct? Yes, yes. Um, and he was he was the real thing. I mean, he was as good as anyone in the league. It seemed like he was, he was the real thing. When he came to the NBA in Portland, he was not uh, playing well. But then uh, he went to play for Nets, and then he started to just beat Russian scoring from everywhere, playing like crazy. Really, one of the best European uh, player ever played in NBA. Um. Who is Bob Brett to you? Let's say Bob Brett uh, with my father is a person who taught me and helped me and uh, the most. The most? The most, you know. Bob came in the right moment, you know, for me. He was, I was in 92. I was wild. I was all over the place. And Bob... Uh, he was a student of uh, great Harry Hopman. And uh, he was already coach of Boris Becker, a lot of good players. And uh, we established a great relationship, you know. I was, um, it's like a family. But he was very tough, you know, with me. We had a lot of fun. Sure. We had a lot of laughs. We had a lot of crazy moments. But he taught me uh, the most, uh, the most, about everything uh, in tennis. What's an example of how he, you got better because of him? Because it was very, you know, uh, when he wanted something, I was very stubborn, but he was double stubborn than me. And, you know, when he wanted something, we, were, we could practice for five, six hours because <laughs> I didn't do it like he thought I should do it. And, and he was, you know, uh, doing, we were doing a lot of running, a lot of, uh, you know, he thought, uh, why, how should I play very tactically, everything. Uh, uh, you know, he put my game, actually, my game was pretty wild sometimes, but he put it like to have kind of sense what I wanted to do, what I should do, how should I play tennis. And in, and in that sense, he, 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 he create my game and put my game in one uh, a bubble that I felt uh, the safest and the best when I played the best tennis. Um, hey, man, 22 tournaments you won, man. That's a great, that's a great accomplishment. Yeah, bad, bad, bad record. 50 finals, 22 wins, 28 losses, which is not uh, perfect. Uh, but I had this one crazy thought. Uh, 
wing yeah. which was not good. I always play better in the semifinals than in the finals because I thought it's not good to lose in the semis, but it's okay to lose in the final. And I beat a lot of better players in the semifinal. I played actually the better tennis in the semis. And then when I got to the final, I kind of, okay, I'm in the final. It's not so bad. But semifinals was very bad. I didn't want to lose in the semifinals. So kind of... What was your record? What was your record in semis? Do you know? And, uh, I have to check that. But semis, yeah. I, I, I have some unbelievable matches in the semifinals. And uh, I, I, I hope that I play better in the finals because I lost some stupid, uh, unnecessary matches in the finals. Hey, but you won Wimbledon, man. And that's, the, uh, that, that's a <laughs> life danger. In the uh, end, yeah. Come on, man. That's incredible. What's it been like coaching Novak? It's probably the biggest honor that some player coach uh, can get that when number one player in the world asks you to join his team because Marian Vaida is already there. Uh, it's great. First of all, we were we are friends. I know him since he was 14 years old, uh, and it's it's very it's easy and. Is kind of sometimes can be stressful, you know. Good thing that he co about coaching him that he wants to learn every day. He wants to be better. He wants to improve. He wants to see how he can, uh, you know, be better because these young kids are thinking seriously and they want to be them. So he's always finding, trying to find something to improve. Sometimes it's tough to what? coach player like that because the final is not good enough, you know. <laughs> and what what what's it like when he uh go went into that lockdown against Fed last year at Wimbledon? I mean, what do you say to each other when that match is over like? Actually, I I was there only for the first week because the, that when he asked me to come there to 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 see how, you know, so I was kind of uh, enjoying that first week with uh, Marian uh uh, kind of, yeah, I was on the tour for three, four years coaching great players like Cilic, Berdych and Raonic, but, you know, and number one is number one, you know, for the reason he's number one. So I was kind of learning, standing there to see how, how we... Uh, yeah, after that, you know, what can you say that, uh, you know, he was two match points down, uh, you were Federer already... <laughs> already was holding that trophy, but somehow everything turned around, you know, and that shows you how strong he is in, in, uh, in his head. And that same happened, not like that, but uh, similar now in Australian Open against Dominic, you know, two sets to one down, extremely, for me, the most important point, break point, two sets to one down, he's serving volley and plays two unbelievable volleys. After that, huh. everything turns around. Um, I, I got to tell you, um, you know, we love Takini. Um, for me to have them as our sponsor is like almost, you know, it's like the closest thing I could ever be to being, you know, like a pro athlete. But when did they sign you and how did that happen? I signed with Takini in 95. Uh, I was without the contract, and I remember playing uh, semi-finals of Monte Carlo. 
yeah. uh, against Becker with the uh, with the swim shorts I bought somewhere and some uh, white white heavy white shirt. <laughs> and this is from '96 Monte Carlo. Yeah, it's been already yeah, but '95 was and then uh, and then I went uh, after that. Uh, I got the offer and then I started to play in Hamburg, uh, 95 Hamburg, I think was the first tournament I started. And we had a great relationship with uh, Mr. Takini, who was already uh, running a company, his son. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't have to tell you, and uh, everybody knows the history of uh, players and champions playing for Takini and how many tournaments and victories they had in Takini close. So it's it's for me it was like kind of honor got yeah. by a, a signing with Takini and, and being successful in, in that close. Was there ever like a do you have a do you have like a favorite Takini outfit that you would wear? I mean uh favorite, favorite is always that one that uh, you you win. <laughs> you always remember yeah. that one. Yeah. So will you, will you ever just throw on the McEnroe warm-up suit or no? Do you don't wear the McEnroe gear? Do you ever throw on the McEnroe stuff? Uh, McEnroe stuff, uh, no. Actually, they started a couple of years ago to produce some uh, shirt, old uh, McEnroe. That was uh, fantastic. That's like uh, really, really unique kind of shirts. Speaking of very cool tennis apparel and shirts, for those that love a great T-shirt, my friends at Pico Tennis have one, man. They just broke it out. It's a limited edition shirt. Pico Tennis is a group of old friends that basically set up a tennis group where you can join. It's all-inclusive. It's approachable. They're trying to set up kind of a sense of community amongst tennis players in L.A. Uh, we have a huge amount of listeners in L.A., and they're just a cool group, and I love to be able to really support people doing cool stuff in tennis. So they made a shirt. The shirt is awesome, um, and you can get it by going onto their Instagram, which is at Pico Tennis, P-I-C-O, and then tennis, it's all one word. Hit them in the DM. 20% uh, of the proceeds are going to go to this group called Sela, S-E-L-A-H. It's basically uh, East L.A., neighborhood homeless coalition and they're trying to help all the different people that are homeless who are dealing with this brutal covid situation and then the other proceeds go to them to do their program and i love their program so get with it get the shirt and you can thank me later <laughs> let's get back to goran Ivanisevich. let's move into our fourth set this is what we call the 10 ball scramble it's not a deep dive. I just say something, and you just say what comes in your mind, okay? Favorite tournament? Wimbledon. Favorite court? Center court, Wimbledon. Favorite city? Paris. Where do you keep your trophies? Uh, my father keeps them. Your father is a professor, huh? Yes. What did he teach? Uh, like electrotechnic, I don't know how you how you pronounce that. Uh, he was uh, like mathematics, electronics. Uh, really? He is. Uh, he was all in this, uh, you know, electric things. Uh, always doing something with electrics. 
did you um did you go to school i actually stopped the school uh when i had to stop in the middle of the high school and we had to decide it was not easy decision continue to school or 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 go to school so my parents decide okay let's give it a shot to the tennis how many rackets do you keep in your house uh two three um are you no longer playing with the heads i'm playing you are playing with heads yes. You're, I thought for some reason someone saw you with a Wilson in your hand. I, I, they were asking I, I, me about it. I tried, but uh, head, uh, you know, all my life I was with the head, so I, I, I had to stick with the head. You're with head. Um, do you keep your credentials? No. What do you do with them? I leave it after the tournaments. Uh, big entourage or lean and mean? Lean and mean. Uh, how many did you travel with? One, and after two. That's it. That's it. Davis Cup. Uh, Davis Cup, uh, one of the greatest uh, events before. I don't know about now. Labor Cup. I think it's a great idea. You love it. Um, your favorite forehand. Not your own. Uh, my, who is my favorite foreign person? Nadal. Backhand. Djokovic. Serve. Sampras. And then yours? Do you like yours better or do you like Pete's better? Uh, I like my first, his second. <laughs> Favorite volleys? Rafter. Here's a few questions. Really, Rafter? Yeah. Better than Edberg, you think? You like him the best? Uh, Edberg's backhand volley, wow. He never missed that backhand volley. Forehand uh, can be shaky, but I, I go with Rafter. Who is your toughest opponent? I imagine it would be Sampras, but maybe there's someone else? Someone you hated playing? I hate to Play Paul Harhaus from Holland. He really great guy, uh, great guy. But uh, wow, I, I, I don't know why I hated to play him, but I really hated. Him. Hated to play him. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there somebody that you loved to see across the court aside from Rosetsky? <laughs> Actually, I had the fun with everybody. You know, we were. We were good friends. I have no never problem with anybody on the court, off the court. Uh, I was pretty easygoing guy. So, was... But was there anyone that you loved to just kill? Uh, like that was like you saw him and you knew you couldn't lose. Was there like a player you loved to play? Actually, Ruzetsky. Right? Who is your best friend on tour? Uh, Mark Rosset, Andrea Gaudensi. Definitely. Are you still, are you still in touch with Rosset? Yeah, I see him uh, quite a bit because he's doing uh, TV for Swiss Grand Slams. Uh, also, Andrea now is a big boss. So, <laughs> great. Who would you consider your biggest rivalry? Would it, would you have to say it was Sampras? Uh, possible. He kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
Yeah, actually, I had this problem with him. I wanted to play too good against him, kind of wanted to beat him, but uh, somehow I didn't manage to to, to perform uh, the best when I needed. But uh, he, yeah, let's let's say him. He is really. It was it was the toughest, definitely. Could you say there was one match where you played your absolute greatest tennis you ever played in your whole life? Was there one match where you said, man, I never played better than this one match? Well, there are a couple, especially uh, I played the great uh, 94 Wimbledon semis against Boris. In the, I beat him in three sets. That was one of the... Uh, then when I won Bercy against Andrei Medvedev uh, in the final, I played amazing match. Uh, Bruguera, Hamburg semifinals on clay. Yeah, I played unbelievable there. So there are some uh, good, good things. There were some awful ones, but there are some good ones too. Let's move into our fifth and final set. This is what we call the king of the court. If you were the king of tennis and you could make a change with just one swing of the racket without any real, you know, aggravation, what would it be? Actually, I, I will change few rules in tennis. To be honest, I will. I will uh, definitely do tie breaks in all uh, fifth set in the Grand Slams. I will uh, cut the five-minute warm-up, which is most stupidest things to warm up five minutes because players are getting warm on the court and you just get cold by warming up. You could have 30 seconds, you try the serve and you start the match, like a shot clock, you know. Uh, I will also kill no, the no let. Warm up. No warm up. No let. I think I hit at least 2,000 aces that I had to repeat again. Uh, so, no let anymore. No let. No let. And I think that uh, be uh, that will be much much more fun, especially fifth set tiebreak. Do you have any opinion about um, uh, coaching uh, from the box and on the court? Actually, everybody is doing from the box. So let's. Uh, my opinion on the court, I will never go on the court. <laughs> Never go on. Kind of this, but from the let's say that a player can come close to the box and then you talk to him. That's kind of better because you always. But in the end, you can't help him so much. You know, he is there making the decision. You can tell him, okay, move your legs, toss the ball higher, or something. You know, they can shake him up. But uh, everybody is doing it. Some of them they get caught, some not, and they should allow from the from the stands. I mean, you're not going to shout, but uh, you know, your guy comes to you, ask you the question, you tell him, okay, do this, do that, and uh, he goes and play. Do you have an uh, opinion about uh, prize money distribution? Do you think that there could be an improvement by dropping the money down? To the to 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 more more players. I think definitely could be money distribution better, and that could be also the point distribution better, because you have some tournaments. For example, uh, let's say Indian Wells and Miami. By making quarterfinals, you make 180 points, 
And to get to the quarterfinals, you have to beat a couple of top 10 guys. And then you play the 250 and you make more points beating nobody. So I think for that, some and the semifinals and the Grand Slam, uh, there should be some more points for these quarters and, 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 and semifinals uh, also for the finalists. Uh, so it's uh, money and point distribution should be, in my opinion, a little different. Hey, man, it's 10 o'clock in the morning in Los Angeles, and this was a great way to start the day. We should thank Takini for uh, setting this up. I, like I said earlier, um, just such a great way to cap your career by, you know, being elected into the Hall of Fame. Just really congratulations on that achievement. Thank you so much. Um, stay safe. Uh, I, know you're, I know you're like an older, I know you have a young child. Uh, yeah, I have, I have a young he keeps me busy, you know. <laughs> how old is that? How old is your child? He's uh, one year and seven months. Oh, so you're really, you're in it now, man. I'm in it, uh, waking up early and uh, not stopping all day. So I'm kind of staying in shape. <laughs> That's how you got to do it. Man, you are released. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Huge thank you to Goran Ivanisevic, and I'd like to thank Sergio Tacchini. See what they're doing at SergioTacchini.com. When you get to checkout, use my code CRAIG30 in all caps for a 30% discount. Max Loeb edited and mixed the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.